All right, let's go ahead and jump in and get rolling. Oh, lost my water. How's everybody doing? You guys okay? Oh, so you're not, you're sad, you're depressed. Life is hard. Good. Tired already? Already tired. I understand. Anybody stay in Tent City? Are any of you in Tent City? Wow. You know, everyone I talk to from Tent City, uh, they tell, you know, everybody has their story. It usually goes like this. Yeah, the first year we came to Desperation, we stayed in Tent City. It's always the first year and uh, never the second year or third year. You do it, it's kind of a one-time kind of thing. But uh, I'm excited for these few moments we have together as you guys have come. Uh, this is obviously as we talk through the, the ideas uh, in the vow. Uh, this is our uh, intercession piece that I want to talk about. And so even uh, I'm excited for those of you that have come to this room. You know, it's really easy to hear the word passion and want to go uh, hear about passion or hear the word mission. And I want to hear about, you know, what is God doing and, and, and what is he going to do through me? But, you know, the, in, in our day, intercession, not necessarily the most attractive of words. People aren't like, oh, prayer, sign me up every day, all day. I love it. And uh, so I love that you guys are here uh, with, with just, just that, just the idea and, uh, of talking about prayer. And so I think we're going to have a good time. Uh, and I want to give you just a few ideas uh, of what the Lord's put on my heart. And, um, and then we'll, we'll dismiss and, and we can head out. Okay, Jesus, we welcome you here this afternoon. I thank you for your activity. I thank you for what you're doing. Jesus, I pray for a move of God in our generation, I ask that you would move here in this place. We love you, Lord. Amen. How many of you guys have been to Desperation before? Good, good. Awesome. Well, I love this week. I love getting to share. Uh, and uh, the truth is, is that um, a lot of times I like to, to come with a lot of energy and talk and, and make jokes and stuff. And uh, David sometimes even talks about that I'm the funny one. And uh, he's pretty funny, though. I don't know if you laughed. At, I was laughing at his story last night. Uh, it was good times. But, uh, but today I feel like the Lord has put something on my heart uh, that, is, uh, that, that is not necessarily humorous in nature. And, uh, and I want us just to talk through the desperate need that we are in in this generation. Even as we are here at a conference called Desperation, you know, and, and the, the idea that we are crying out to God. Over the last few years, really, uh, I've started to kind of become this little fanboy of uh, historical revivals and, uh, and just seeing the things that God has done in, uh, in the past and reading the stories of, um, of moves of God throughout, throughout the generations, moves of God in different countries and different people groups and, and looking at even some of the, what are the similarities and what are the differences and, and what has God done? And I love the story, you know, here uh, we talk a lot about a story of, of this people group group called the Moravians uh, that were refugees. I know even if, if you were here last year, we talked about them and, uh, and, and the idea of this, these people that uh, they were refugees, they, they were abandoned, they, they had to leave their home country uh, because they were being persecuted for their faith in Christ. And they went and they formed a little village and they began praying together. And in the course of praying, they, they, they started praying 24 hours a day, round the clock together. And as they did that more and more, the Lord put it on their heart to actually go. And so they actually, they led the first Protestant missions movement all over the world. They, they, they went and, and their prayer meeting went for a hundred years. They were doing night and day prayer. We actually got the chance uh, 
this past year. So because I've, because I've, I, I've really started to enjoy reading about these stories of, of God moving and, and doing stuff, uh, whenever we do missions with DLA, I like to see, like, even if there's a place close that, that, that we can go and, and learn and be at and, and just kind of find out what has God done here. And so we were in Germany. And uh, we spent time in, yeah, I got some German love over there. And uh, we, we were in Berlin. And, uh, but, but we went up and we, uh, we actually took a, a few days to go to the village uh, of Hernhut where these Moravians had their 100-year prayer meeting. And, uh, and so we spent time, we just went there, we prayed, uh, heard the story, uh, you know, walked through the village. So, but here's, I'll tell you real quick, this fun story, I won't take too long on it. But uh, so we were there on Easter Sunday, right? And so uh, it's Easter Sunday. And um, one of the things, that, one of the cool things I found out about, about the Moravians is that they were the first ones in the, they did this, you know, this 24 hour prayer meeting, but they were the first ones that really started doing like an Easter sunrise service. Has anybody ever done a, a sunrise service on Easter? You know, like where you, you get out and you go do worship or something at, you know, way, way too early. Like the Lord has just woken up himself, you know? And so, but uh you know, so I was like, so they were the first ones to do it. These, this group of people that were praying together. And, and so they, they, they were praying through the night and they were like, hey, tomorrow's Easter. Let's go out and, and on, at sunrise, let's worship and pray. And so I got my team and I was like, dude, we are, if we are in the place where this was the first place that they ever did this. It's Easter Sunday. We're going to go to a sunrise service in Hernhut. It is going to be fantastic. You're going to love it. And so we were like, we we're so excited and we were ready to do it. And, uh, and then the locals told us, hey, just so you know, uh, tomorrow's daylight savings. And so uh, their daylight savings is, different, is at a different time than our daylight savings. So I lost two hours of my life this past year that I will never get back. And, uh, and so, so I was like, okay, that's fine. So, so then we're like, we're like, okay, what do we do? Because I don't know about you guys, but I'm really dependent on my phone. Uh, like I don't change my phone for daylight savings. It changes by itself, right? I set the alarm for when I want to go up and it just changes by itself. But I'm in another country and I'm like, will it do it by itself? I'm not on, I don't have, you know, I'm not like connected, you know, it's on airplane mode. And so what am I going to do? And so, so we were like trying to figure out what we should do. And so, some, so, so we went ahead and we changed our phone so that we would get up an hour earlier. So we get up and, uh, and it's dark outside and we, we start to go to the church for the sunrise service. And uh, as soon as we walk outside, there's like this like marching band walking through this little village, like playing music, to wake up everybody to come to the service. I was like, this is brilliant. But, uh, you know, so I, I it felt, you know, you feel really special when you, as soon as we step outside, all of a sudden I hear, I was like, yes, you know, I'm here. But uh, so we go and like, we're at the church and, and we get there and it's closed. And we're like, okay, let's wait a little bit. People are a little late. I don't know the culture here, different country. People run a little late. We wait a little longer. So then finally we're like, maybe this is like, Maybe we are at the wrong time. You know, the whole daylight savings things, maybe, maybe we like messed up the time. So I get my buddy, Eric, and I was like, Eric, will you go chase down that band and ask them what time it is? So Eric is running through this little village in Germany and it's pitch black. 
and he's trying to find this, this band of people walking. They go from corner to corner playing, but he can't catch up to them because he can't find them until he has to stop, hears their music, runs to where it is, but by the time he gets there, they're somewhere else. And so he's gone for like 30 minutes just chasing this band around the middle of nowhere, can't find them. So finally, I'm like, what is going on? So someone finally gets there and you know the service started at 5.30 in the morning and uh, I was, you know, someone gets there and we're like, thank you, okay, so we're here. And they're like, no, it's 4.30 in the morning right now. And we were like, no. They're like, yeah. So we're like, okay. So then we start to walk back to our, where we were staying. And this lady was like opening her window, putting like laundry or bread out or something, you know, Germany, I don't know. And, uh, and we stopped and we're like, hey, what, what time is it? And she was like, oh, it's 6.30 in the morning. And we were like, what is going on here? And so ultimately we actually have no idea event, like, I'm convinced that they did not, everybody told us about daylight savings, but they didn't actually do daylight savings, and we wasted hours in, oh, I didn't even tell you, it was like freezing cold, it's like 30 degrees outside, and we're like freezing, and snot freezing to our face, and all this stuff, so anyway, I don't know why I told you that, but but uh, we got to go to this place where these, this group of people dedicated their lives to prayer, and out of that, we're launched into, uh, into going and, and taking the gospel all over the planet. I love the stories uh, of the Welsh revival. The Welsh revival is one that took place in Wales. Imagine that. And uh, it's a guy named Evan Roberts. He was a young, young guy, uh, came home from college, started a prayer meeting. And, uh, and, and just his, his prayer was, God, bend me. God, n- not my will, but yours be done. He said, God, change me. And, and through that, in this prayer meeting, the Lord began to move. And, uh, and then he went. And, and they went to little groups all over the country and, and hundreds of uh, over a hundred thousand people gave their life to Jesus and it impacted the entire nation. Like so many revivals taking place and so many things were happening that they began printing the names of people that gave their life to Jesus in the newspaper. Like you open up the newspaper, you check the weather, you check the scores and then you check who got saved last night. Like that's what like, that's how common it was for, uh, okay, sorry, sorry, I'll, newspapers. They, they used to print the news on paper, right? <laughs> And so then they would take it to your house. It wasn't all like just through Twitter. Oh, anyway. So, but that was like what was going on. I, I just, I love these stories of, of God moving. There's a, there was a revival uh, at Yale in the 1800s where it was, a, it was a 16-year-old kid began preaching. And, he, and, and uh, he, when he got to school, when he got there, there was no, nobody on campus. Zero people were followers of Christ began preaching and praying and asking God to move. Seven years later, there began to be a move of God. They began to, they began to experience the activity of the Holy Spirit. And, and in seven years, they went from nobody following Jesus to half the student body following Jesus. And they just saw this incredible move of God. I'm just telling you, uh, there, there's similar themes as, I, as I've read and as I've, as I've studied, as I've gotten to go to places. So often, the similar themes are young people that are willing to pray. Young people that are willing to take time to, to come before the Lord in prayer and worship and say, God, we must have you. I think it's important. Like I said, we're here. We're at this conference. It's called Desperation. And even as we call it that, it's like, what is that name? That's kind of weird. How many of you guys have friends back home and, and you told them that you were coming to a thing called Desperation that they looked at you a little weird? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, a lot of you, right? Anybody think you were coming to like a dating conference? 
or something, you know, like, or, you know, they're like, what is it? That's, that's strange. Why, why would we call it desperation? Shouldn't we call it something happy? And, you know, like come to like, my life is going to be so happy conference and, and, or, you know, everything, you know, come to the Jesus will make you frolic through flowers of joy conference. You know, shouldn't that be what it's called? Wouldn't more people want to come to that? When you say desperation, what, why are we there? I think it's interesting if we read Jesus talking to the Pharisees in Matthew 16. And he said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, when they came to him, they were testing him and asking him to show them a sign from heaven. In verse two, he replied, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in, and in the morning today, it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. And Jesus left them and went away. These guys come to him and they're like, hey, if you're the Messiah, show us a miracle. We want to see something. Prove yourself. And what Jesus says to them is he looks at them and he says, listen, you wicked and adulterous generation, you don't know how to read the signs of the times. You can read the weather, right? Like, like we can tell when, when, when you walk outside and it's about to rain. Can anybody, anybody feel like you can smell when it's about to rain? Have you ever experienced that? You walk outside and you're like, oh, it's about to rain. I can smell it, you know, or you can, you can feel the changing in the weather. You can tell if it's going to rain. You can tell what's going on. And yet we can tell the weather and yet we're, we, we, Jesus was saying, yet you can't tell the day in which you are in. I believe it's very important that we look at the day in which we are in and not try to justify saying, oh, aren't things so good? Isn't life so grand? Listen, we're in a, we live uh, in a great country. We live in a great place where we are afforded lots of liberties, where we have lots of comforts. Uh, you are probably, you know, the truth is that you're probably wealthier than the kings of old, right? I mean, you have running water and a toilet and a bed, like kings didn't used to have those things, you know? You have more, you have more luxury in the palm of your hand than most people throughout all of history. We are extremely blessed, but I don't want to look at all that and say, oh, well, then life is good. Life is easy. We're fine. I think it's important that we look at where we're at and, be, and, and honestly say, God, how do you see where we're at? What is going on today? Psalm 79, 8 says, may your mercy come quickly for we are in desperate need. I believe that we are in desperate need of a move of God. I'm not just a fan of revivals for the sake of liking what God has done in the past. I believe that we are at a place in time where we must see God move again. We must see in our day and in our time, God sweeping through this country, God moving in the countries of of the world. And we must see him come. We must see, even as we're calling this weekend, our God is coming. That is is the cry of our heart. That is the necessity of the day. We have to be people that long for revival. We have to be people that long. I, I, I hope that when you hear stories of young men going to college and begin to just preach the gospel and pray, and seven years later, they're, they're half of their student body is following Jesus. I hope that inspires you to say, I want that to be me. I want to be someone that's willing to say yes to what God has for me. And I want to step into his kingdom moving here on planet earth. I believe that we need Jesus. This isn't, this isn't a game. This isn't just cute and nice and pretty. Listen, I don't know your life. I don't know your friends, what you're going through, what you've experienced. But I know that as I work with young people, 
I'm shocked at 15-year-olds that suffer from depression. I'm amazed by this generation and our tendency to want to self-medicate and, and whether that is substance abuse or whether that is relationship abuse. It's shocking to me how many people have been abused emotionally, physically. Listen, there is, there is real pain. I, I, I read somewhere that up to like 40% of people have been uh, involved in self-mutilation, something like cutting or something like that. Just a, a desire to let the pain that they feel on the inside out. I think that there is real pain going on. I think that we see such, uh, there's incredible numbers of how many people are being, uh, of of human trafficking, sex trafficking, slavery today. This is not the good old days. There are, this is, we do live in a dark time. We do live in a time when, when we see people that are hurting and broken And we have to have Jesus. And I'm not saying this as some kind of scare tactic. I'm not saying this as some trying to overhype darkness. The truth is Jesus in Matthew 24 and verse 37 says, as in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. We know the story of Noah, right? Do you guys know that story? Noah built the ark, not Moses in case you were confused. Noah built this ark, why? Because there, was, because there was a coming flood, because of the day, if you read the story, there was, there was violence and corruption in the world and the, it broke the Lord's heart and he was like, fine, I'm starting over. It was so much so that God, who looked at his creation and said, this is good, now looks at it and says, listen, I, I need to send this flood. As in the days of Noah, Jesus said, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. He said, listen, things were bad then and they're gonna be bad when I come back. So I'm not trying to look at you and say, hey, look, things are so much worse than ever before. We are just worse off than ever and and we need to do something. Listen, listen, sin has been in the world a long time. There has been darkness for a long time. Now, I do think that in the day that we live in, there is a greater avenue for the declaration of it. There's, there's more opportunity through media and through, through the connectivity of the world that we see it more and more. And it is influencing people at a younger and younger age more and more. So I do think that there is a dire need. But what I'm telling you is I'm not trying to say, hey, isn't this so much worse? I'm just saying it's very real that the, the day that we live in, we are in desperate need of Jesus. We cannot go on just saying, oh, things will be fine and I'm good, and and, and let's just ignore all the problems. Listen, your friends, they need Jesus. You need Jesus. The only answer is we have to have breakthrough. And listen, like I said, sin is not new, and so Jesus is not concerned. He doesn't look at the state of the day and think, oh no, that's too big for me. I don't know if what I have to offer is good enough for this. No, 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 no. We serve a big God who is mighty to save and who I believe we need to be people crying out for breakthrough, pushing back the darkness, not simply adjusting our strategy, but rather saying our strategy is one person, is Jesus. We have to have you, Jesus. Jesus is the answer that we need. He is the hope of the world. It's so easy to just kind of accept the pain to accept the day that we're in, to accept the fears of our friends, 
the struggling, but we're not a people of despair. We're not a people that shrink back and say, well, it is what it is. There's nothing we can do. Second Corinthians 4, 8 says, we are hard pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. I love verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Christ so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. I believe that we are in a day where we are in desperate need of breakthrough. We are in desperate need of revival. Now, I, I think we hear the word revival a lot. I, I even saw, I saw a Bible this morning that was the, re, or, yeah, a Bible that was the revival study Bible. And, uh, and what does it mean when, when we're talking about revival? What does it mean when I say revival? I think a lot of us have lots of different ideas of what that could be, what that could mean. I don't think revival is just, even as, as I said, as I've enjoyed looking at past moves of God, it's not for the sake of saying, oh God, this is how it happens. There's a formula to your breakthrough. No, it's simply saying, listen, God, you've moved before and I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if it looks the same or different, but you are the same God whose heart was moved for these people. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you've done it before, then I can trust that you'll do it again. So it may look the same, it may look different, but we have to have you, Jesus. So I don't think that, that revival is simply just like tons of miracles happening. I don't think that revival is simply a, 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 the ability to draw large crowds of people. A lot of times I think that we look at large crowds of people and we're like, oh, you know, people are, a lot of people are coming to church or a lot of people are coming to the prayer meeting. Or a lot of people come to our Bible study. Man, this must be real revival because there's people here. That, I don't believe that's actually what revival is. There's people who have the ability to draw crowds and it doesn't mean that Jesus is, is the one that they're coming to see. I think that certainly there is power and we do see salvations and we do see healings and we do see miracles. First Corinthians 4.20 says the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Romans 8 says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in each one of us. We have been given that I think a lot of times we don't operate in that power. We don't walk in that power. We don't live like we believe it. But when I talk about revival, what I'm praying for, what I'm believing for is freedom. It's freedom from sin. It's freedom from fear. It's freedom from strongholds and freedom from the enemy, his lies. It's freedom unto Christ. As we see people walking in freedom, as we see people... Listen, when I'm talking about freedom, I'm talking about, I'm talking about sickness being healed. That is revival. But the revival is not simply the miracle happening. It's Jesus setting them free. I'm talking about hearts being set free to Jesus. People giving their lives to him. I want us to be people that believe that we are carriers of the truth of the gospel. And that we can go into, you can go into your schools and you can declare freedom to the captive. You can declare freedom to those that are hurting and those that are broken and those that seem like they are in despair. They have no way out. You have Jesus inside of you. Jesus is the answer. It is freedom that he brings. And when we begin to see a generation living free in Jesus, I'm not talking about freedom like free to live as you want. I'm talking about freedom given from Jesus, freedom from the enemy 
and freedom unto Jesus. I believe we'll see breakthrough in schools. I believe that we'll see breakthrough in families and marriages and relationships. So what can we do? I want to read a story, okay? Can we have Bible time? A little story time? I'm going to read this. It's going to be kind of long, but that's okay. If you want to read along with me, 2 Chronicles 20, right? We're going old school, right? Old Testament. You guys okay with that? Everybody okay? You all right? All right, here's where we get into the meat of things. All right, this is about this king. His name's Jehoshaphat. Say Jehoshaphat. Oh, come on. Say Jehoshaphat. That's a catchy name, right? You guys think that, you, that that's probably something. Anybody here named Jehoshaphat? Anyone? Joe? Fat? No, okay. Anyway. All right, so after this, the Moabites and the Amorites with some of the Menunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazan Tamar. That's a very cool place. You should go there. I've never been there. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to acquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So here's what's going on. This army, this vast army is coming to attack Jehoshaphat, right? And, and so the, these guys come and they're like, hey, King Joe, um, there's an army coming. They're, they're probably more respectful than that. Hey, King Fat, um, you know, the last name. So they're like, there, there's an army coming and this army is way too big for us. Uh, I just want to let you know they're coming to take you out. Uh, and so ready, set, go. I don't know what's going to happen, but we're all about to die. Jehoshaphat, his immediate response is that he resolved to inquire of the Lord. His immediate response wasn't, okay, let's call upon the army. Let's, let's build some strategy. Let's figure out what we need to do. And then after I've, after I've done my due diligence of setting up a perimeter, then I'm going to go to the place of prayer. His first response, Jehoshaphat says, I will inquire of the Lord. The first thing he does is he calls a fast for the entire nation. The entire nation joins together to fast and to what? To seek God. So then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the, fr- in the front of the courtyard. And he prayed, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hands. And no one can withstand you. Our God, did not, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built it in a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or the plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before the temple and that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress. And you will hear us and save us. He calls a fast. He says to all the people, hey, the first thing that we're going to do is that we are going to cry out to the Lord. And then he begins to pray. And his first initial prayer is declaring who God is. He's saying, God, this is who you are. He's, re- he's saying, God, I want to recall to mind. I want to remind you, but really I'm recalling to my mind the greatness of the God that I serve. And so then if we skip down a little bit, see all the men of Judah, verse 13, with their wives and their children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came to a bunch of people. To this Levite, do you guys know what a Levite is? The Levites were the ones that were actually like, they, they, they were 
in the temple. And they were the ones that worshiped and prayed and they manned the temple. So other people would go to war. Other people would have other responsibilities. Their responsibility was worship and prayer. And so the Lord comes and he says, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will climb up uh, by the pass of Ziz. It's kind of a cool pass. I don't know. The pass of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of, of the gorge in the desert of Jerul. You will take them, or you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites, uh, then some Levites from Kohorathite and Kahasharite, I just throw in some letters there, stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel with, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa and they set out to somewhere else. And, Je- and Jehoshaphat said, listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And they went out ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. So I know there's a lot of weird names and a lot of weird places in there. This army is coming. They are attacking Jehoshaphat. His first response, the first thing he does, he says, before I get ready, before I get the armies aligned, before I plan, before any of that, I'm going to go to the place of prayer. I will seek the Lord. That's my first response. And then I think there's a really interesting thing in here is that they sent out a worship band to lead the army. That seems weird to me. Now, any musicians in here? Any, any worship leaders or musicians? I love you. Bless you. Um, I haven't found in my life that musicians are always the, the greatest of warriors, right? Like last night, John Egan is leading us in worship. And he's just like, I mean, it was, I was moved. I was like, oh, I'm encountering God. And then John is like talking about how he cries all the time. You remember that? You know, he's like, I cry all the time. And I'm like, interesting. John does cry all the time. Can you imagine John leading an army crying? You know, like, like this is like, there's something about musicians. I don't know that if you're like, oh, we want to really strike fear into the enemy. What should we do? Oh, go get the flute players. They are going to strike some fear into them. It is going to be awesome. You know, like they're going marching as an army playing the harp, you know, and everybody's like, oh, don't mess with them. They got harpists at the front, you know? Jehoshaphat takes and he puts in front of the army the worshipers. And I think in this story, if you keep on reading, it's amazing because as the army approaches, they they don't even have the battle. What happens is the army that's coming against them wakes up, they get confused and they start fighting each other. They kill each other. And the the army of, uh, you know, the Israelite army just stands there and watches and plays their instruments. And then then they go and and everybody's dead and it gets kind of gory and weird. But, you know, so... But the story that I love in this is that we have a people who were in desperate need from God. They could not do it on their own. They could not respond in their own strength. They they were dependent on God and their response was prayer and worship. 
And so I want to tell you right now, we have a few more minutes together, that I believe that if God has put in your heart a desire to see him move, the desire for your school campus, a desire for your family, a desire to see healing, a desire to see God move, if we want to see revival, we must be people of prayer and worship. We must be people that pray together. We must be people that worship. And listen, when I talk about prayer and worship, bottom line, those are the same thing. Like worship is singing our prayers. Worship is a way, it makes praying a lot more fun sometimes. It makes it more memorable, all those things. But when I talk about worship is prayer and prayer is a statement of worship unto God because it's a statement that I am dependent on you. So worship and prayer go hand in hand and are actually, uh, they, they can go back and forth with either one. They're interchangeable. So what we're called to do in the moment of crisis, in the moment when we say, God, look at the day that we're in. Look at the pain that my friends are in. Look at the pain that I have. Look at the desperate need. What can I do? And I tell you today, pray and worship. And I believe that you will begin to see that is the way that we usher in. That is our response. God's the one that does the act. God's the one that does the moving. We don't, we aren't the ones that go and make it happen, but we get to be a part through prayer and through worship. These are two tools that I believe that as we want to see God move, that you can do. And here's the beauty of it. Do you know what I love about these two things, prayer and worship? One, I love that God's asked us to be a part. I love that God has asked us and and set it up that we get to be involved in his kingdom advancing. We get to be involved in what he's doing. There's a great honor in that that we don't deserve as human beings. But he loves us so much that he's asked us to do that. He's, he's provided the chance for us to be a part of what he's doing. But do you know what else? It's so simple. Do you know that we can pray together in this room? We can sing and worship together in this room, but we don't need to be together in this room to do those things. You can do those two things anywhere and everywhere and no one can stop you. Do you know it's one of my favorite things? I love, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. Okay, I'm gonna tell you a little story. It's a little revealing, but whatever. Okay, Amy and I were uh, on a trip recently and uh, we ended up, we were actually in Las Vegas. Anybody ever been to Las Vegas? And so I'm in Las Vegas and I walk in and I go in, I don't recommend ever doing this, but I was in a casino, you know, whatever. And I was like, I was like, do you know what's gonna be awesome? I'm going to spend time with Jesus in this casino. Nobody else is doing that here. Everybody else is living for themselves. Everybody else is living in sin city. And I'm going to open my Bible and I'm going to pray and I'm going to worship my Lord here in this place. Listen, it's one of my favorite things to do is to go somewhere where no one else is worshiping and say, guess what I get to do? And it's just me and Jesus and I'm praying and I'm spending time with Jesus and I'm talking. You can walk through your school and no one can stop you from praying. They can tell you to stop talking and you can be like, guess what? I don't have to talk to pray. You can do it anywhere at any time. You and Jesus, you can be an instrument of his kingdom. You can be one that ushers in his activity and his movement on planet earth anywhere. Now, I love doing it together. I believe we're called to do it together. I, I hope that you go home and you start prayer meetings and you start, you start worship sets and you do all this together. I think that when we do it together, when we're joining together, there's, there's power in that. But we get to do it alone. We get to do it in small groups. And sometimes we get to do it in big groups of people like we're doing it this weekend. And all of it counts for the kingdom. And all of it advances the kingdom of God. When we pray... Here's the deal. When we pray, we are advancing the kingdom of God. 
We know the simple, I mean, just some verses here in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will, and seek my face, then I will hear them from heaven and heal their land. If we pray, God will hear us and heal our land. He just said it. So let's stand on it. Let's believe it. Daniel 10, 12, Daniel's praying and an angel of the Lord shows up to him. And he says, since the day you set your heart to seek me, uh, I have heard you and I have come in response to your prayers. He says, I've come specifically in response to your prayers. James 4 says that we don't have because we don't ask, right? We're called to pray. The way that we can advance the kingdom of God, and, and I could go into this more, but prayer is the way that we get to partner with God in what he's doing and the will of God. Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray your kingdom come, your will be done. So we get to find out God's will and then we get to release that power on planet earth through prayer. That's a pretty exciting thing. That's a pretty cool thing. As we pray, we're advancing the kingdom of God. As we worship, we are reestablishing the correct order. See, God is king. Jesus is seated enthroned. He is supreme. You can read in Colossians. He is above all things. We live in a fallen place where the Bible talks about Satan as the God of this age and the prince of the air. When we worship, what are we doing? We are declaring the sovereignty of our God. When we worship, we are declaring the true king in his place. And in that moment, in that place, we are putting things back into their correct order where God is king and Satan is not the God of this age. Where God rules, God is supreme. Listen, there is power in worship. It's not just for good feelings. It's just not so that we can enjoy being together and have a good time. There is actual spiritual activity. So Satan hates it. And I didn't mean to come here talking about Satan, but Satan hates it when you worship. Satan hates it when we get together to worship. He wants to do anything he can to get us to not do that because he knows that when we declare our king, we are declaring his kingdom. We are declaring his rule and we are actually putting things back into the correct order of how they were meant to be. Worship creates a place for God's rule to be reinstated. Worship is the, is the way that we can reestablish the kingdom of God and putting him back and we glorify Jesus. Worship is the means by which we establish his rulership. We establish God's rulership as we worship. And here's where it starts. We establish his rulership first in our own hearts. When we worship, it's establishing he is awesome, he is worthy, he is glorious, he is powerful, he is creator, he is king. And it reminds us who our God is. And when we remember who our God is, then we remember who we are. And guess what? We are free from fear. We are free from the, from the lies of the enemy. We begin to get free from the strongholds that have held us back before. And we begin to see revival. We be in our own spirit. And then we begin to become carriers of that. We begin to speak that to other people. We begin to see other people as God sees them. We begin to be able to tell them who they are and tell them that they can have freedom and they don't have to live in bondage any longer. They don't have to live anymore where they are not free. I'm telling you, worship and prayer. If we would be people of intercession, and intercession unto worship. If we will be people that pray, we will release the kingdom of God. And if we will be people that worship, we will reestablish God as king. It's what we're doing. And we got to do it every moment of every day in our own hearts. And we are changing his presence. I can tell you, I know for myself, I know for Amy, as my wife, there's been no place that we have been changed more than in the presence of God. And most of the time that has happened as we're in worship. 
We get changed in his presence as we worship. He reminds us who he is. He shows us who he is. We look at him. We, he, he's revealed. Now listen, worship is not just about feeling good. Worship is about remembering the God we serve and declaring it. And, 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 and sometimes I believe that we begin to feel and, and the Holy Spirit moves and, and we begin to actually be moved to a place where we feel in, in our emotion. But it's not always about emotion. Worship is about truth, right? Do you know scriptures? Do you know what it says God is looking for? Worshipers who will worship him in spirit when we feel it and in truth when we declare it, when we know it. So I want to invite you guys today. I believe that you are carriers of Jesus. I believe that God has worked in you and and you carry, as I read earlier, you, you carry the life of Jesus in you. And you can spread that. And the way, if, if there's a, uh, my, my prayer today is that there would be a burning desire in each of you to be a revivalist. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that you have a desire to be famous like John Wesley or famous like, like Evan Roberts or famous like some other person I could say that you don't know who they are. So you're like, they're not really famous. I don't mean famous like, I don't mean be a revivalist. Like people see you and think, oh, wow, aren't they a, a crazy, powerful person for God? No, I mean, I mean that the spirit of God lives in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You can walk around with power and authority and you can walk around and enable people to meet Jesus and be set free and that the enemy and darkness is actually pushed back because of your activity on your campus, because of what you're doing in your family. And I'm telling you, the tools, the, the, the way that you do that is prayer and worship. It's by being a man or a woman committed to spending time in prayer, getting God's heart, asking God what he's doing, asking him to do it again, finding out what his will is, declaring that, praying that, and worshiping him, declaring his greatness, reminding yourself of who is really king. This Welsh revival I talked about earlier, this little, little guy, college-age kid, Evan Roberts, at a prayer meeting. They began to go city to city. And it was him and five singers. It was Evan Roberts and five female singers, five ladies. And they would go and they'd hold prayer meetings. And they would just worship and pray. And that is what began the rumblings of revival that spread throughout the entire nation. If you go to Wales today, it's the, the, they call it the, the nation of revivals. And there, there's been breakthrough and outpourings of the Lord. It began with a small prayer meeting, one guy, five girls, prayer and worship. City to city, really not even city to city, village to village. And what my favorite thing is about this revival was that the actual thing, people were giving their life to Jesus. There were, there were uh, expressions of the Holy Spirit. But what actually happened was the entire culture of a nation began to change. I've talked about this before, but I just, I love it. There started to be complaints about the revival because the police had nothing to do. Because so many people were getting saved that crime stopped happening. The owners of bars complained because nobody was coming anymore. They were like, we had to shut our doors and I went out of business because people have stopped coming. This is my favorite. So coal miners, it's a coal mining culture, right? They started to complain 
because this revival that was sweeping the nation was ruining their jobs because their, their donkeys would not respond anymore to the workers because they didn't understand them because they were no longer cursing. They didn't understand the language that these guys were using. I just love that. The animals couldn't, couldn't handle the revival. They were like, what is going on? Now, I'm, what am I saying? I'm just saying that what happened in these people was they encountered God and from the inside out, there began to be change. The revival wasn't about, hey, come and here's how you need to live. You need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. No, 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 no. All it was is they came and they encountered God and they were changed from the inside out and it began to shape society, it began to change culture. What happens if we are committed to God and committed to encountering him, to praying and to worship and we get changed and it begins to change your school. It begins to change your group of friends. It begins to change your family. Most importantly, I believe, is that it begins to change you. If you're not committed to allowing the Holy Spirit and revival to happen in your heart, it will never happen in your school. We have to be willing to say yes to him in ourselves. We have to be willing, Galatians 2.20, to die to ourselves. But if we are, then I believe that we will see God move. I know we will. I've seen it. And I want to see it some more. I feel like I've, I've gotten little tastes. I've seen little bits. And I want more. And I believe that we are in a day that we are desperate for it. And that we can't sit back. We can't stop. I want to read this quote. This is from a guy named Leonard Ravenhill. He's a great preacher on revival. He said, could a mariner sit idle if he heard the drowning cry? Could a doctor sit in comfort and just let his patients die? Could a fireman sit idle, let men burn and give no hand? Can you sit at ease in Zion with the world around you be damned? Can we sit and just let people go to hell? Can we sit and just let people not encounter Jesus and live in bondage? This is my buddy John right here. He's a fireman. And I love when he tells me stories of, of what he gets to do. Listen, this is what Raven Hill's talking about. John sees a burning building with people in it. He can't just sit there and be like, well, too bad for them. They should have gotten out. No, it's his duty to run in, to grab them, to sacrifice himself to help others. That's our duty. That's what we are called to. When we see a broken and dying world, we must say yes to giving everything we can that they would experience what we've experienced. Jesus has not revealed himself to you simply for you. He's for everybody. So I wanna pray to close. And um, I just wanna pray for those of you. Uh, uh, to, to sum this up, I, I feel like we are in a day where we have to have breakthrough. We have to have God move. It's just, it's just, it's a necessity. I believe. I believe that the tools that we've been given, what our part is, is worship and prayer. So I want to pray for those of you that you want that kind of burning spirit in yourself. You want there to be even like a boiling over of, of where you can't help but speak of Jesus. The disciples said, we can't help but speak of that which we've seen and heard. And I, so I want to pray for you that would say, and, and I, this may sound grandiose, but you would say, I, I want to be someone who contends for revival. 
I want to be someone who contends for freedom, for salvations, for God to move. I want to be a revivalist in my sphere of influence on my campus. And I want revival to happen in my own heart. Revival just means new life. God bringing life where there was death. That's what revival is. Where the enemy brings death, God brings life. So if you would say, I want that to mark me and I'm willing to do what it takes to the best of my knowledge, I'll fail sometimes. I won't be perfect, but I want to give everything to see God move in my generation. I want to pray for you. So if that's you, go ahead and stand if you would. If you just put your hands out, I want to pray for each of you. Jesus, I pray today that in this room, there would be true revivalists, those that have impressed on their heart the burden to pray, the burden to contend for a generation to encounter you. I ask that you would give us revelation from heaven of how you see us and how you see those around us. I ask that you would give us revelation of what you are doing and what you desire to do. And may we say yes, Jesus. May we be obedient even as we prayed earlier today. Whatever it is that you call us to do, may we say yes and be obedient. I ask for young revivalists. I do pray for young Evan Roberts in this place. I pray for young John Wesley's. I pray for those that would say that whatever the cost, I must see God move. God, place that burning within our heart. God, I pray that we would be people that worship you all the days of our lives that we would declare your greatness, that we would declare you as king. And may we pray and contend for you to move. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, much love, everybody. Thank you for coming. Uh, it's lunch. Again, hey, if you're, if you're uh, 17 or older, raise your hand. 17 or older. Look at you, fantastic, wonderful people. I just want to remind you, we said this earlier, but uh, for those, any of you that, that have heard of DLA and want to hear anything more about what it is, and if it's something that you may be interested in, we'll be in the student chapel out here for lunch. Uh, have a great afternoon, and we will see you later.